22, Acts 9, 18 through 22. Let me read, just stay seated, let me read God's Word and then we will jump right into the text. Uh, Beginning of verse 18. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And and has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But But Saul increased all the more in strength, And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Lord, as Jason prayed earlier, that that we would be able to receive what you have for us. Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive from your word, what you have for us. I pray that we'd be able to today. May you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's do a a very brief recap. And the reason why I do this is to get us back on track, back online. Uh, It's it's good to do to, you know, there's a whole week that we uh, miss from one one sermon to the next on this book, and so I want to do that. Last week, while in Acts, we covered the Lord sending confirmation to Ananias. Does everybody remember that? Ananias was extremely fearful. The Lord sent him confirmation to comfort him, but also why? To console him, right? To console him. He was fearful, and so we see this throughout the Old Testament. We see it constantly. The Lord is constantly sending confirmations to people. I mentioned uh, Gideon. I mentioned Joshua. I mentioned Moses. And that, that's just, a, just a, a very, very small portion of what I was speaking on last week. So we have that confirmation, and it leads then to that consolation where we are comforted by the Lord, and that happens through the saints of God. That happens through His Word now. But that consolation is not just for no reason. There's a reason for it. There's a reason that he sends it. And let me share with you the reason for the consolation. Remember, we had confirmation, consolation. Now we have action. Jason prayed that we would receive... What the Lord has for us today. I want you to see and understand that confirmation comes and it consoles us, but that consolation then is not to be set on for nothing. It is to be used as a launching point for action. This is what Ananias was doing. He did not sit in that consolation and say, oh man, this is so warm and fuzzy. Let me just sit right here. And pretend that I didn't hear the Lord tell me to go to Saul. No, no. That consolation put forth and set in motion action. So often as children of God, when we are consoled, 
like a child, consoled like a baby. We are lulled to sleep instead of pressed to move on. The children of Israel did this, didn't they? Over and over out of the Old Testament. They were consoled and then after that consolation came for them, it wasn't long until you would see that they would be found sleeping yet again. The armies would come in, the armies would take over and then they would be bound once again. Ananias was not consoled so he could sit there. He was consoled so he could go and work. This is why he was consoled. So he could go and work, so he could go and do the calling that was placed on his heart by the Lord. So he could be obedient to work for Christ. What was Ananias' job? He had a couple different things that he was tasked to do, didn't he? Remember, we don't see this character really anymore in Scripture. But what was he tasked to do? He was to go to Saul. He was to lay hands on him. That he may receive the Holy Spirit. He was to remove the scales from his eyes. He was to lay hands on him and that would happen. But what else? He was baptized, right? He was baptized. We talked about this on Sunday night very briefly. He was baptized, and this, was, this happened by Ananias. What does Ananias say to him? You see it over in the 22nd chapter of Acts where, where Paul is giving his testimony. And what does Ananias say to him? What are you waiting on? Why do you wait, Saul? Get up and be baptized now, calling on the name of the Lord. Why do you wait? Get up. And be baptized. What are you waiting on? Is what he says. So it was a call to service, a call to do Christian work. Look at what Ananias and the church did for Saul after he was baptized. Keep in mind that he was in the house of Judas, some man by the name of Judas. We don't really know who that was. But I want us to understand something. To take on a grown man, no matter how short or how tall he is, to take on a grown man and to put that person in your house and to take care of them for three days and making sure that they are protected, giving them a room. Now we know that he was fasting and praying, but it doesn't matter. When you go and invade somebody else's territory and invade somebody else's space, it's a pretty big deal. What do they say about company after three days? It's like fish. It stinks, don't it? What? So here Ananias is, and he is with Saul in the house of Judas. But I want us to see what the church does for Saul. And I don't want you to miss it. Look at the text. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. For some days... He was with the disciples at Damascus, meaning he stayed there in fellowship with them. But look, go back up just a little bit. It says, and he regained the sight. He rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. What did the church do for Saul? They fed him. They took care of him. They loved on him. Right? Right? Am I the only one seeing this? 
They loved on him. They showed him the love of Christ from believers. And he had never experienced this before. You talk about a shock. Going from the place of Pharisee, going from the place of the high court, where it was nothing but cutthroat this and cutthroat that. Now he opens his eyes to a a whole new family. The family of God, and it's, and it's very intricate, and it's got, it's got all sorts of different servants in it, and, and, I, and I love the family of God. Sometimes people get sideways in the family of God, amen? Sometimes they get sideways, and we've got to pull them back in line. Sometimes they need a little time, right? Sometimes they need a little love. Sometimes they need to be ministered to. Saul here in this text needed to be ministered to by the church in Damascus. And in fact, he was. They saw a need and they filled that need. Verse 19 tells us, For some days he was with the disciples that were there. Saul had a new heart. Now he has new eyes to see with. And now he has a new family. A new family. To spend time with. This is where he's at in our text. And before we get into verse 20, I want us to see really who this Saul was. I want us to see just how gifted he was. Okay, this is what I want us to pay attention to for just a moment. Saul was extremely smart. Right? As compared to Peter... (laughs) who was a fisherman, who said that he was unlearned, that they took notice that he was unlearned. Well, Saul was just the opposite, okay? He was extremely gifted. He was extremely smart. This man was bright. God had given him a mind of learning. A mind of learning. The Pharisees were known for their law learning. Saul was an expert in it. He was a doctor of the law. He knew what the Old Testament was, what it was about. He knew it frontwards and backwards and could debate and do all the things that a good Pharisee was supposed to do. God had gifted him with knowing and being able to retain mass quantities of information. This man was a genius, very smart, very gifted, knowing languages. But one thing that Saul did not have before his conversion that would make all of these scriptures that he knew make sense, including the law, that he knew would make sense, the one thing that he did not have was Jesus. He knew the entire Old Testament. He knew everything that was printed. This man was smart. He was rising up in the ranks. A Jew of all Jews is what the scripture says. But one thing he lacked was Jesus. He had all the learning that he could possibly handle, which would soon be service for him. But up until this moment, he didn't have Christ. So all the learning in the world can't save you, can it? He knew the Old Testament frontwards and backwards, man. This man was good. He knew it. But all the knowledge in the world... Just cannot do it. When this man realizes that the Old Testament is all about Jesus, 
having the knowledge of the Old Testament and now he is able to take Christ and insert that into that knowledge? You talk about a powerhouse. It gives me chill bumps thinking about it. Saul was a man that knew the word of God. Now he has the key that unlocks all the scriptures. And that key, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus Christ. He didn't have the New Testament to read from and debate from. He was using the Old Testament scriptures now with Jesus inserted into the Old Testament scriptures in his heart. And he has a very clear, clear understanding. He had, a, he had the making of being a very, very strong sword. But now that he has Christ, he becomes sharpened. He becomes ready for work and he becomes ready for action. And this is what we have to understand about this man named Saul. The Lord had gifted him with much learning. And then when you apply Christ to that, you better look out. You better look out. There was no one that could touch him. Nobody. This man was, he was just a, an excellent, excellent candidate to have this Jesus inserted into his life, man. To be this evangelist that just went on and would just overturn all sorts of different things. The Lord here had, had blown on his heart, filled him with understanding and a burning desire to tell others about Christ. Let me explain that. The Lord blew on his heart and gave him a burning desire to tell other peoples about Jesus. Now we prayed earlier that we would receive what is said. So we have to understand that the Lord blew on this man and engulfed him with a flame that would not be quenched very easily. Gave him the understanding of Christ Jesus on top of the Old Testament scriptures. And he went about like a, like a man on a mission, buddy, because he was. Preaching and teaching. He was overwhelmed with Christ. He immediately began to preach Jesus. Listen to the text. Listen to what it says in verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed, did he hesitate? No. No. He immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. How did he do this? He did this by speaking out of the Psalms. He did this by speaking out of the prophets, by speaking out of the first five books of the Bible. He did this by using the Old Testament, inserting Christ into that equation, and now he is a powerhouse for Jesus, and he is sharing the gospel for those that he comes in contact with. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9 says this, and this is something that I truly felt when I first surrendered to the gospel ministry. I felt this more than anything in the world. 20 and verse 9, Jeremiah says, If I say I will not mention or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones. This is what Jeremiah says. Shut up in my bones and I'm weary with holding it in. He says, I cannot. Paul or Saul had the very same heart. 
It was a burning, raging fire that had, that had engulfed his heart for Jesus Christ. And now he is going about telling people about Jesus. Immediately he goes to preach. Immediately. Acts chapter 4, 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. Peter and John tells the court this concerning Jesus. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. So often, so many Christians become children of God, but yet their testimony and their, and their language never changes or, or their attitudes towards missions or their attitudes towards reaching the lost, it never changes. How can that be? Saul was drastically or dramatically changed here, drastically changed. And the first thing he wants to do is reach the lost. He couldn't help it. It was a fire shut up in his bones. Saul left Jerusalem spewing out hatred, didn't he? Threats and violence. Now, now, this man is breathing out the gospel. Breathing it in and breathing it out. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a true change. We like to use the word trans today, don't we? (laughs) Let me get y'all's attention real quick. Transgenderism. We like to use the word trans. Everybody likes to use the word trans. Everybody got a closet they're in or out of, right? Well, it's time that God's children come out of their Christian closets. It's time that they truly live a life that has been transformed. Satan's always got a counterfeit, doesn't he? Always. He's always got a counterfeit. Saul had experienced a true transformation. It was a lasting transformation. And it was a transformation from the inside out. From the inside out. Listen to Noah's Webster's, Noah Webster's 1828 definition of the word transformation in the spiritual sense. Listen to what he says. In theology, and the reason why I go back to 1828 is because it's, it's a lot more accurate than the ones we have today. Because if you go on Wikipedia, there's no telling what you're going to find, right? So Deborah's shaking her head. It's true. Wikipedia, just, just don't trust it. Just because it's on the internet, don't make it true, okay? Go back and do some research and understand these words that have been around for a long time. Transformation in theology, according to Noah Webster, is this. A change of heart in man by which his disposition, his temperament are confirmed to the divine image. In other words, that he's going to look like Christ. A change from enmity to holiness and love. This is what happened to Saul. This is what happened to him. True change, we know, is from the inside out. So what is the counterfeit to this today? Because Satan always has a counterfeit. Everything that Christians try to do, Satan tries to mimic and put his spin on it. He did that with the rainbow, right? The Lord uses the rainbow as a covenant to us saying, I will never flood the earth again. I love you and this is a token. Every time you will see this beautiful 
rainbow in the sky. And now Satan has taken that and he has twisted it, distorted it, and made it something that it's not. So he always has a counterfeit. So Satan always has this counterfeit. But what is the counterfeit today? What is the one that we are so prevalent with today with this transformation? The most prevalent counterfeit today is transgenderism. The most prevalent. You can't go anywhere without hearing about it. It's affecting families. One family after another, after another, after another. Little boys wanting to be little girls. It's wrong. And I don't think it's so much little boys wanting to be little girls. Is It's that their parents are wanting them to be something that they're not. To fulfill some wicked desire in their own heart that's empty and that's hollow. The most prevalent counterfeit today to this transformation is transgenderism. People today have hearts that are empty and need to be filled. And they do this by trying to transform their own lives. If if I could just be like a woman, if I could just be like a man, that might help me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Now, I'm just going to be real with you on this. It doesn't matter. It matters not to me if you like the word dumb or not. This doesn't even make any sense. It's the weirdest thing that I've ever seen in my life. But the Lord compels me to preach it. People need the gospel shared with them. People need to go out and be in action. We have been consoled and we know the truth of the word of God and we know who Jesus is and we know what we're supposed to do, but yet so often we just don't do it. We don't do it. Transgenderism is changing the outside, but not the inside, right? You bring it down to whatever you want to call it. People are changing the outside, but it's biologically impossible to change the inside. You just cannot do it. I don't care how many hormones you take or don't take or do take, whatever. But this is the modern counterfeit that is so prevalent in our country and across the globe. It is a fake transformation. Only Christ can give us a true transformation. But this that's going on today in the world is absolutely crazy. Men pretending to be women and women pretending to be men. And all the while, what they're looking for is something that they cannot do themselves. It's an empty heart that needs to be filled by Christ. Plain and simple. Saul had a transformation like Samson's riddle. And I read this on... uh, I was was reading out of uh, Matthew Henry, and he's just a, a wonderful commentator, and... He says he had a a transformation like Samson's riddle. Out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweet. And this is exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. This man was violent. He was wild. He was like a wild raging lion. But the Lord tamed him. He made him an instrument of grace and an instrument of mercy to share the gospel with other people. Which is that 
meat for that inner man and that, and that honey for that man to be able to work in and to, to move in that grace. This was Saul or Paul. Verse 21, listen to what it says. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them bound before the chief priests? These were Jews. Looking inward at Saul, who has been transformed. And these Jews that were not Christians are saying, wait a second. I thought he was supposed to be coming and getting the Christians out of here. He had authority by the high priest to do that. What? What's the change? What's, what's, what's going on here? What is the deal? Let me read to you the, the, the text again in 21. Listen to it. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? In other words, they're not identifying with his name. In other words, these are Jewish people that are not Christians. But listen to what it says. 21. And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? They weren't talking about themselves. They were talking about the Christians. But I don't want you to miss this. The Jews are extremely confused here about what's going on. They're trying to figure out and trying to piece it together. And later we're going to see where they're really mad at him. They're going to get really mad at him. Saul was supposed to be arresting people of the way. But now they say he's one of them. What's going on? Pay careful attention to what I'm about to tell you. The world noticed the change in Saul. Do you see that? They said they didn't understand it. But the, the world noticed the change in Saul. He's different. Why is he doing this? Could that be said about us? Do we live a life, and this is like stepping all over my heart right now. Do we live a life in such a manner that the world says, you know what? That's a weird dude. I don't understand him, but there's something different about him. Could the world say that about you for the right reasons? The world noticed the change in Saul. Why did they notice it? Because it was true. It was true. It wasn't fake. It was true. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 tells us clearly, Come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. This is exactly what Saul was doing. He was doing everything that he was supposed to be doing. Starting with baptism, right? Ananias says, what are you waiting on? Get up and be baptized. And so he did. He comes out and he makes this great profession of faith. He comes out and he says, I'm a child of God. I love Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. He preached Jesus Christ and himself crucified. He came out from the world and the world took notice of that. 
I'm almost done. Pay attention to me. Listen. I'm going to ask you a question. And you're going to say, well, duh. But I still want to ask a question. You don't have to answer it. Answer it in your own heart, not out loud. Why would anyone today want to be part of the world? (laughs) I want you to think about this. How dumb is that? Think about the news outlets. What's going on in society? Why would anybody want to be part of that? So you're going to tell me that you're going to hitch your wagon to the world that's going off a cliff. That doesn't even make any sense. Does it? Why would we hitch our wagons up to the world that's going over a cliff and going over a cliff fast? Why? The scripture teaches us to come out from among them and be separate. And this is what Saul was doing. Come out of the closet of Christianity and be bold for your Christ. Let people see Christ in you. Preach like Saul. You see, in 1 John and through his series of books there, and even the book of John and then 1 John 1, 2, and 3, you see that his whole message is one of love. Love like John. Be like Jesus. Be anything but like the world. Why do we have to cover up our light and put it under a bushel basket? And let, for people that don't know what that is, younger people, let me say this. Why would you cover up your flashlight with a five-gallon bucket? Why would you cover up your flashlight with a cup or a bowl? Why would we do that when he has given us something that can change people? We're to reflect the sun just as the moon does. Our Christianity should lead us to action. And that takes shape in a lot of different ways. But our Christianity should absolutely lead us to action. By all means, let people see Christ in you. Let people see Christ in you. Because Satan is not being shy today. Do you understand that? He is not being shy today about his work. But too often the church is. Too often the church is shy. Verse 22. Listen to what it says and I'm done. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. I told you he was a smart cookie. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. In fact, he did prove to them that Jesus was the Christ. Some of them believed and some of them wanted to kill him. This morning I praise God that Saul wasn't silent about his faith. It wasn't just a faith of words that he spoke of, but it was a faith of action that he lived. This faith that Saul was speaking about and preaching about, he also 
lived it for the people to see. This convicts my heart this morning. It convicts me to be more like Christ. And it should you as well. We live in a day and age where we cannot afford to be silent about Jesus. Remember, Satan's not being silent about his work. We can't do it, guys. Pay attention to me. Can you today contend for the faith? It says that Saul proved to them that Jesus was the Christ, whether they believed him or not. He proved unequivocally that Jesus was the Christ to them. That he was strengthened. In other words, that everything that he had learned in the Old Testament, everything that he knew about the Old Testament is now coming to pass with Jesus inside of it. And he is going about and he is preaching this. Could you stand before the council like Paul does multiple times, like Jesus had done, and testify to the truth of Christ? Could we do that today? Or have we been so consoled that we have forgotten that that consolation should lead us to action? I'm concerned that the church today is so apathetic. And I'm not just talking about this one. I'm talking about a lot of them. It's so apathetic to working for Jesus. They pay the minister or whoever. Let them do it. And we'll sort everything else out and we'll do our own thing. But just wasn't the case in the New Testament. It was a call to action, a call to work. So many people cannot do this. So many people cannot come out and speak about Christ. And the reason why is because they don't practice it enough. They don't know enough about Him and, and they don't read their word enough. They don't speak enough to Him and discern His, his voice and hear Him. Here in our text, Saul, as I, as I close, Saul was working for Jesus. He got up and was baptized and immediately, immediately, he began to preach for Christ. And the scripture tells us this, this, this is a true, true transformation. He had a new relationship with sin he had a new relationship with the Word of God. He had a new relationship with Jesus. He had a new relationship with the fellow believers that were around him. He was truly changed for the good. And this led him to action, just as it did Ananias, and just as it did, might I add, to the one that was housing Saul, that nobody ever mentions, who let him stay there for three days and three nights. This is a call to action. It tells us in Nehemiah that the people had a mind to what? A mind to work, right? A mind to serve others, to love Jesus, and to proclaim His sweet name to everybody they come in contact with. 
This convicts me because I need to be doing it more. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter where you're at spiritually. We have a responsibility, and that is to share Christ with those that we come in contact with. And we need to be doing it. We have a responsibility to action that our faith should be working. And people should be able to see that. Saul started with baptism and from there he went on to, to, to preaching. And, and he doesn't let up until his head's taken off. <laughs> what a mighty man of valor for Jesus. Let us pray that we would be like this. And I know, I know Saul was extraordinary because he was an apostle. But we have the entire Word of God. The inerrant, entire Word of God. Proof and evidence to go and to prove to the world that Jesus Christ truly is real. And He is the only one that can change. The only one. Let's pray.